Hello, and welcome to Teacher in Zion Podcast, a podcast for Christians, Mormons, ex-Mormons, and other Book of Mormon believers, or anyone questioning their faith or the church, with an emphasis on seeking the truth wherever it leads, but especially in gaining a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Teacher in Zion, and this is episode six of the podcast entitled An Enemy Came. We're going to traverse some rough waters in this episode. Some of you may feel challenged by the things I'm going to share. As always, you don't have to take my word at anything, but I would ask you for a commitment to truth rather than to your traditions. Jesus is the truth, and he will set you free if you want him to do so. If you believe you have the Holy Spirit and you know the difference between him and your own thoughts and feelings, then you know that he was given to us to lead us to all truth. We are instructed in the Book of Mormon that we should not trust in the arm of flesh. So I encourage you to go to God on anything I say. Embracing the truth is sometimes painful. It isn't without consequences, but it will free you. Please understand that it's not my intention to tear down the church. That's not my job. But it is my aim to teach those things that will help place people on a firm foundation that they may withstand what is coming. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. The truth has a way of shaking things up. But better to shake ourselves free of any lies and deception sooner rather than later. In truth, the church is not an institution. It's not a denomination or an organization. By Jesus' own definition in the Bible and the Book of Mormon, and also in the revelation given to Joseph Smith in 1823, quite simply, all those who believe, repent, and come unto Christ are his church. And according to the Lord, if anyone attempts to add anything to that, they come of evil. If your faith is truly in Christ and his gospel and doctrine, as outlined in the Bible and in the Book of Mormon, then nothing I tell you should disturb you. However, if your faith is in the church institution and in men or the priesthood, then I would suggest that you reevaluate where you want to place your trust in these last days. On March 25th, 2020, a 5.7 magnitude earthquake hit Salt Lake City. Now, earthquakes can happen almost anywhere. But what was profound about this particular event is that the earthquake struck while the LDS church was attempting to earthquake-proof the temple there. Engineers and workers had to stop their work and flee the temple. And the trumpet, which symbolized the gospel message, was knocked out of the hand of the statue of Moroni atop the temple. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, or what the thoughts of the church leadership were. But Doctrine and Covenants chapter 50 says that we are to confess God's hand in all things. Regardless of who you are, it would be hard to imagine a more obvious prophetic event. It was almost like something ripped from the pages of the Bible. Two months after the earthquake, the statue of Moroni was removed from the temple entirely. 
and more than two years later, it has not been put back. When I saw what had happened during this earthquake, I knew right then that God had sent a message, not only to the leadership of the church, but to its membership. And he did so in a very public way before the eyes of the entire world. God has told us that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And those things that can be shaken are not on the sure foundation of Christ and must be removed. The earthquake was a warning of what is going to take place. The physical event signified a spiritual truth that even as the church attempts to preserve itself, essentially seeking to earthquake-proof themselves against what is coming, it is already too late. It cannot be avoided. The removal of the symbol of the gospel message from the ornament atop the temple signifies that the church no longer teaches or represents the gospel of Jesus Christ in its purity. Paul admonished the Galatians in chapter 1 verse 8 saying, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached, let him be accursed. Now, these are hard words I've shared. I understand, and I honestly do not mean to offend, though it is likely impossible at this point to avoid offending a great many. But again, I ask you, where do you place your faith? Are you standing upon the firm foundation of Jesus Christ or some other foundation? May the Holy Spirit attest the truth of my words if they be true. Sometimes the truth must simply be spoken unapologetically. I would reiterate here that I am not advocating that anyone leave the church, and my aim is not to tear down the church, but rather to build up your faith in the right things. Jesus alone is the foundation that cannot be shaken. The institution is either in the will of God or not, but regardless of its merits, it is not the true foundation. In 2012, after writing a book that the Spirit of God inspired me to write regarding the lost tribes of Israel and the true purpose of the restoration begun with Joseph Smith, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me saying that there would be a tremendous harvest out of the LDS Church. Not because God despises the Mormon people, but because of his great love for them. We aren't supposed to be married to a set of doctrines or an institution or any prophet, but to Christ alone. He is the bridegroom. He alone is our head, and he is jealous for his people who have gone after idols. I attest again that I believe in the Book of Mormon, I received a powerful testimony of it while simultaneously being taught by the Holy Spirit how the church had become corrupted. The plain and simple truths of that book are so powerful and life-changing. Many of the prophecies contained in it have since come true, which Joseph Smith could never have guessed at. And then there is the profound insight into biblical prophecy which I am convinced Joseph never could have, nor ever did, fully comprehend. The archaeological evidence 
Once you turn away from Mesoamerica and look to the mound builders, even as Joseph Smith said we should, who, according to archaeologists and paleontologists, arrived on the scene at the right time. That's right. The mound builders arrived at the right time to coordinate with what is written in the Book of Mormon. And then they were completely wiped out as a civilization at the right time, in keeping with the history of the Book of Mormon. And Joseph did not have this information. And the sciences of the day had not yet arrived at those dates. Nor did they fully disclose all that had been, or much less would be, found. All of these evidences, in addition to the witness of the Holy Spirit, has not only become possible to ignore, but becomes more and more profound each day. And yet, I am not a Mormon. And I do not believe in the authority of the church, not because I dislike Mormons. To the contrary, I have a real love in my heart for them, more each day. And I think this is partly because of the spirit of the Lord who has called me to assist where I can. I feel the pain of watching the one true church come unraveled. I saw it happen with the RLDS church which I was born into. The entirety of my extended family, both on my mother's and my father's side, were members of that institution. Here's what I know and understand. Friends and family can fail you. Men, even the priesthood, can fail you. We are instructed, after all, not to trust in the arm of flesh. The church can and will eventually fail you. And yes, even prophets will fail you. Even as the Apostle Paul stated in 1 Corinthians, whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. But Christ will never fail us. He alone is the sure foundation we can stand on. And when we join ourselves to him, making him alone our head, we become a part of his body, his church. I recently wrote to a man who has basically set up his own one true church, being proclaimed as their prophet. Furthermore, this man is even a descendant of Joseph Smith Jr., which may be partly how Satan may have deceived him into thinking that he was something more than he really was. I wrote to him, telling him that I prayed for his deliverance, and also the deliverance of everyone in his church who trusted in the arm of flesh and set up a man as the head of Christ's church. The Lord had been visiting with me regarding the errors that Joseph Smith Jr. fell into. I do not accuse Joseph Smith Jr., and I do not imagine myself to be better than him. But I recognize that he was a man, prone to error as any man is, and was possibly subjected to the pressures and influences of other men. I have made many mistakes in my own life and have also been deceived. I can only imagine the pressure Joseph was under and the temptation. Back in 2019, I was driving to work when the Holy Spirit suddenly spoke to me. I had been contemplating the discrepancies I appeared to be seeing between what Jesus taught and the teachings of the church. Quoting from the parable of Jesus, the Holy Spirit said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. 
I silently waited, wondering why the Lord had quoted this parable to me. And then he spoke again. And he said, this is the story of the restoration. Understanding began to flood my mind and spirit. In the context of what the spirit was trying to share with me at this time, the tares don't just represent people, but they also represent doctrines, interpretations, and traditions that began to enter into the church. It is astonishing to me what has been done to this movement since 1828. God began by restoring the simple truths of his gospel made so very plain for us in the pages of the Book of Mormon. And then, like the Jews, it wasn't enough for us. It seems we wanted to complicate it. Even as the Book of Mormon states, they despised the words of plainness and sought for things that they could not understand. Wherefore, because of their blindness, which blindness came by looking beyond the mark, they must fall. Brothers and sisters, the mark that they looked beyond is Jesus Christ. He is the focus and the entirety of everything, the foundation of all that we believe. I believe it is for this reason that God in Isaiah 11:11 said that he will have to set his hand a second time to recover his people Israel, which has nothing at all to do with building up another denomination or organization, but has to do rather with the gathering of the lost tribes to himself. He is the good shepherd, and his sheep know his voice. He is calling them out even now calling them to come out of dead religion and unto him to find rest. Have you heard his voice calling to you? It was a sin when Israel did not want to hear God for themselves, but petitioned Moses to have a relationship with him instead, asking him to simply relate to them whatever God told him. The scriptures make it plain that the desire, which not only Moses had, but God himself, was that we might all be prophets, in the sense that we should each know God for ourselves and have his spirit to guide us to all truth, that we are, all of us, supposed to have such an intimate relationship with him that we can hear him in every matter, rather than having someone else tell us what his will is. This relationship with God is the fulfillment of Jeremiah 31, verse 34, where God says, No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. End quote. This prophecy was fulfilled already when God sent his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Why have we since gone backwards? Yes, Jesus placed apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors in the church body to assist the body by equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Those who are called into ministry are to point the way to Christ, not stand between God and us once more as Old Testament mediators. God himself came down, walked among us in the flesh, and died on the cross that the curse of the law and temple religion 
where man was separated from God, needing a priest to stand as a mediator between them and God, would forever be done away with. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn that day. Think of the significance of that. The barrier between God and man was removed so that we could all know and hear God for ourselves. Sadly, the Dark Ages Church tried to reinstitute these old ways by having a priest stand between us and God and tell us what his will was. The Reformation came to protest against this lie, and after that, the restoration with Joseph Smith began by illustrating that anyone can come to God if they lack wisdom. Joseph's first experience demonstrated to us all that anyone, even a young boy, can go directly to God. That God will reveal himself to those who seek him, and he will answer their questions, not only in the written word, but also by way of his spirit. That if we ask, seek, or knock, he will answer. Those who were called into the ministry are supposed to equip or train the saints on how to have this level of relationship with God for themselves. So that even as in the primitive Christian church, these signs would follow the believers. Any member of the body of Christ could prophesy in a meeting or give a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, or heal the sick and cast out devils. Anyone could receive a vision or experience angelic ministry. Joseph Smith did not know which preachers to believe. They all claimed to have the proper knowledge or doctrine, but God was just waiting for young Joseph to come directly to him. Is this not what every man, woman, and child should do? Rather than depending on flawed men to tell us what is true, it amazes and perplexes me that what began as a great work, where we learned that ordinary people can come directly to God and hear him for themselves, that Satan managed to once more essentially erect the veil in the temple by causing the saints to become dependent on the priesthood in order to have a relationship with God. Even worse was when, by the persuasions of men, and contrary to all other scripture and the will of God, Joseph Smith allowed himself to be established as the only one that could hear or receive revelation for the church. It fostered a dependence on a single man, which became the tradition of the church. Rather than him being a prophet, one among many in the church, we invented the idea of the prophet, as if there is only one, and that this prophet should also then be the head of the church. This displaced Christ as our head, and rendered moot the command to not trust in the arm of flesh. How easy they made it for Satan to subvert the church, instead of in the mouth of multiple witnesses, and instead of empowering the saints so that light and revelation would begin to come from the general body of believers, the membership began to look to one man. Take that man down, and the whole church goes with it. In my letter to this so-called prophet, I told him that he had been deceived into making the same mistake as his forebearer, 
to foster a dependency on one man and make people rely on him for their answers. I reject the tradition of the church that clearly seeks to diminish the gifts of the Spirit among the believers and glorify certain men or a single man, setting him up as their lifeline to God. I reject it, and I do not flinch in the least bit, having a clear conscience and ready to stand before God at the final judgment in regards to the subject. God is calling many of you out of the church and into the wilderness experience right now at this moment. I am just one of many witnesses, and I will need your help and your fellowship. We will each need the experiences others have with God because we only see in part. We must bring those pieces of the puzzle we each have and bring them together, and in our testimonies and witnesses of the truth, a clear picture begins to emerge. In closing, let me share this declaration I received by way of the Holy Spirit. It is the end of the church age and the beginning of the kingdom age. The church institution, it's a lot like Egypt. You know, originally, Egypt was a place where God had gathered the family of Israel. For a time, Egypt, like the church, was a place where Israel could be nourished, sheltered, and allowed to grow. But like Egypt, over time, the church has become a bondage, trapping us in the traditions of men and keeping us from our true spiritual destiny. Hence the need for the wilderness experience, that we may begin to remove the influences of Egypt from our souls and learn to follow God wherever he leads us. The wilderness is designed to foster a complete dependence on God rather than a dependence on man. The wilderness experience prepares us for the promised land or the kingdom age. Not all who leave Egypt are bound for the promised land. Some will turn to other idols in their hearts and will not take advantage of this time to grow closer to God. Some will turn to atheism and some to fundamentalism or New Age or other Gnostic beliefs. The time is short. I pray we will use the time we have wisely to seek and draw ever closer to the living God of Israel. May we come into a deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the eternal God. And if I haven't entirely offended you yet, I hope you will join us for our next podcast episode. Until then, God bless. Join us for discussion in our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash hope of Zion or at our YouTube channel, Teacher in Zion. That's the word teacher, space, and in Zion spelled as one word. My books can be found at amazon.com forward slash author forward slash Douglas Hatton. That's H-A-T, like a hat on your head. T-E-N, like the number 10. Until next time.